All right, well, listen, we're going to get to work this morning in the Word of God. If you have a Bible, let's open it to Matthew chapter 10. There's a sermon outline in your bulletin, and you were probably handed one when you came in today. I'm not trying to confuse you. We're giving you two options for outlining today. One is a blank piece of paper, and one has got sentences and points that you can fill in the blanks. So, you know, we're kind of separating the right brain from the left brain people today. Uh, Some of you like to doodle and draw. You can do that as an outline today, or you can fill in the blanks. And I'm not sure we're going to get through the whole text this morning. We'll get through the text. I'm not sure we'll get through all the points. Uh, First service, we went a little bit long, and so I'm looking for my clock just to stay on track. You're going to have to listen fast today, okay? Matthew 10, 17 through 25. So before we read the text, let me give you where we are. Um, We're in a new section in the Gospel of Matthew. This is a section where Jesus is saying, okay, now it's your turn. He's been doing ministry among the masses, and now he's sending out his workers, his disciples, to do the work. And we learned last week from Pastor Danny that the, uh, the upshot of all of that is that as they go out, the focus is gospel evangelism. It's preaching the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is near, and discipling people. And of course, there were miracles that went along with the apostolic ministry, and we, uh, we are grateful today for the foundation that we have as the body of Christ to know that we serve a God that is the God of the miraculous. And, and yet the, the morphing of, of that whole truth is that the commission to the church today is to bring the gospel, to preach the gospel, because therein is the power of God unto salvation. The greatest miracle of all is a changed heart. And And so where we left off last week, if you were here, you saw the last verse. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Verse 16, that's a powerful verse. Basically what Jesus is saying there is, I want you to be smart, I want you to be strong, but I want you to remain soft. And that's something that's really, really hard. That tension of smart, strong, and soft all going together doesn't always happen in the body of Christ. And when it does, it's a beautiful thing and amazing things take place. But even with that, now what we're going to enter into for today is a section where Jesus is going to give some risks and reality about ministry. And you notice the title of the message this morning, (laughs) does it encourage you? You will be hated. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Um, and yet, you know, this is, this is a powerful passage. So we're going to read the text and we're going to jump in and get to work. Verse 17, be on your guard against men, Jesus says. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through all the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. 
What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Well, it's an amazing text and a lot to unpack. And it really kind of falls into the, where we'll go next week. But today's a big foundational point. What do we see in this passage? What, what, I, what we see here in this passage is a realistic look at what happens when we engage in gospel ministry. And this is such an important and timely message for the church of Jesus Christ and for our church in this local community. Because there's far too much uh, feel-good preaching and feel-good realities of what people look for in Christianity all around us. Pastors giving positive messages about how to do better in your life, how to succeed in your business, how to find personal fulfillment how to build and keep good relationships. And there's nothing wrong per se with any of those themes. They all come out of Scripture. There's a beautiful thing in all of that. But sometimes that becomes the focus. And, and where is it that we find Jesus' demands for discipleship and what we will likely encounter when we step out of here and into the world of ministry? And what Jesus is telling us, as he was telling his disciples, is you better be aware that there are risks and realities to focus on. And most of us probably are not big risk takers. We kind of play things safe a little bit. And that can happen in the church too. And Jesus is saying you can't, you can't hold back. You've got to give everything you need to give, but be aware that there's going to be a price that's paid. In essence, what I see in this text is that there is a dedicated and determined opposition against us as followers of Jesus Christ. And we try to mask it. We try not to build that up. Uh, we, we rarely tell that to others that we're sharing our faith with. And yet all through the scripture you see this pattern. You know, Paul warned people of the tribulation that would, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And right here Jesus lays it out in no uncertain terms that there are risks involved in serving in ministry. So if you're taking notes, what I want you to see in this big umbrella, verses 17 through 25, is that ministry is risky. Say that with me. Ministry is risky. I mean, I mean, a versus ministry is fun, or ministry is personally fulfilling, or ministry is an adventure, or ministry is a real ride, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and those things are true too. I mean, I would, I would be kidding you if, if, if I said to you that those things are not true of ministry. I, I love ministry. Ministry is fun. Ministry does have fulfillment involved. It's a beautiful thing to discover your purpose and to live out your purpose in God's kingdom work. But ministry is risky. That's what Jesus is saying here. And there's four specific risks that I want to point out. I'm going to be as quickly as I can. All of these could deserve a sermon on their own. But let me just give you the first one, verse 17. There's risk in knowing that we're likely to find ourselves at odds with religious beliefs and structures in our day. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, you know that when you read this passage and the warnings that Jesus gave his disciples, you would kind of say, well, wait a minute. As they went out and ministered, there's no record of, in the Gospel of Matthew that the disciples went through any sort of real persecution. 
Now, there was probably opposition that happened that we didn't necessarily see or, or revealed to us in the gospel record. But, like we learned last week, when you get into the gospel, or when you get into the book of Acts, you see that the heat goes up a little bit, right? And now, no longer is it Jesus that is being persecuted, but the disciples of Jesus are being persecuted. And that sort of crescendos through the book of Acts. And you have lots of uh, push and pull, and then we get into the history of the church, and you can see waves and and epochs where the church uh, underwent lots of persecution. And even today, all over the world, there's, there's persecution going on. We're rec- we recognize that. And Jesus says, watch this. He says, out of among yourselves. He says in verse 17, he says, he says, they will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in the synagogues. That word, that little phrase, hand you over, comes from the Greek word parodidomai. It's the word to betray. There's going to be a lot of betrayal that happens. Jesus says people are going to hand you over. They're going to put you in a place where you're going to be tried and found guilty for things that you're not necessarily guilty of. This past week, I was in a conversation with a missionary who serves in Ethiopia, and this blew my mind. He says the Orthodox Church is the recognized church in Ethiopia, and the Orthodox Church is, is the longest standing, you know, line of churches in church history, really, and in the Orthodox Church, there's orthodoxy, there's a lot of the same things that you and I believe, but watch this, in Ethiopia, the Orthodox Church is so uh, jealous and so frustrated with the evangelical church there that is growing and blowing up like crazy with people coming to Christ and amazing breakthrough that God's kingdom work is doing there that the, get the, when I heard this I couldn't believe it that the Orthodox Church is turning in handing over evangelical pastors and church plant leaders to the government giving them reasons that they have done illegal actions they have done things that are un uh, inappropriate or whatnot, and here they are standing before judges. Um, yesterday, I was asked to pray for three of these church plant leaders who were yesterday on trial before a judge who will determine whether they would be set free or serve an eight-year prison sentence. I was praying for them yesterday. I don't know what the outcome of that is, but I think, wow, the church, the Orthodox church is doing this. Well, when Jesus said that you're going to be handed over, he was saying, look, the institution out of which you're coming, Judaism, you're followers of me. But listen, they were going to synagogues and preach and teach that Jesus is Messiah. And he says, out of that, you're going to have opposition. In our day, we recognize the same sentiment. I mean, you open the newspaper today, there'll probably be something about some village in in the Middle East that is being persecuted by ISIS and they go into homes and we've been reading this you've seen it on the internet Uh, they'll go into homes and ask who are Christ followers there and boom chopping heads off creating great uh, destruction in these cities we know that there's religious opposition around us everywhere Uh, we live in a culture that embraces pluralism and pluralism is basically saying everybody's view is the same you know, it's all one, it's spokes in a wheel and everybody is going to the same God. We all, it doesn't matter whether you're Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or, 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 or Jewish or whatever, it doesn't matter, Christian. We're just all serving the same God. We all say it a little different way. That's pluralism and that's what our culture is saying to us. And nobody has a problem with anything we're saying here until we say that Jesus is the only way to the one true God as revealed to us in the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament, as soon as, you, as soon as you break that out, now you've got a whole different game. Now you're not included in sort of that. Now you're labeled as a hater. You're labeled as intolerant. You're labeled as, you know, a bully and all that. 
And some of us, we, most of us live pretty insulated. We don't see this, but I'm seeing it a lot more. And I believe that it's coming a lot more. And I believe that what Jesus said here to his disciples was meant to show them what would be in the future and in even the last days. And let's not forget, folks, Jesus is coming back. You remembering that? He's coming back. And he said that in the last times, there would be very, very difficult things. People would give each other over. There would be hatred. Uh, you read the, the epistles and you'll see over and over the warning of what the last days will be about. And I believe we are in those last days. And we are. I mean, in fact, the book of Acts says that, uh, that you know, as a mark of the last days, when the Spirit was poured out upon God's people, uh, quoting from the book of Joel, in the latter days, men will dream dreams and prophesy and so we have already know that from the birth of the church, we have entered into the last days. Now, how close are we are to the last of the last days? I don't know. And don't listen to people who put dates on that kind of stuff or anything like that. We don't believe that people have that, you know, insight. No man knows the hour of the day. But we know that Jesus is coming back. And we know that we are going to be, at times, because we believe in Jesus as the only way, we're going to be in the crosshairs of religious systems that say, how in the world can you say that? And some of you probably have seen that. There's another risk Jesus mentioned, verse 18. He talks about the risk of being at odds with political beliefs and structures. Not just religious beliefs and structures, but political beliefs and structures. And I wish we had a little more time to unpack this, but again, you know that after the resurrection of Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit among the, the disciples, the apostles, as they went out to preach, uh, they encountered uh, persecution by the government. And Rome uh, punished, and Rome did their thing. Paul, the apostle, stood before uh, uh, Felix, the procurator of Judea. And then when he was off the... Remember, the apostle Paul, he was in Caesarea Philippi for two years under house arrest under, uh, under the procurator uh, Felix. And then Festus takes over. He doesn't know quite what to do with the apostle Paul. So King Agrippa comes through who had sort of a larger area of coverage and role responsibility. And you read this, Acts 24, 25, 26. Paul's before Felix. He's before Festus. He's before uh, King Agrippa. And Paul is on his way to Caesar, Caesar in Rome. And so what Jesus is saying here is very apropos. He's saying you are going to stand before government officials and you're going to be sometimes in the crosshairs of, of, uh, of persecution. And believe me, this is happening as well today. Our personal and corporate convictions, for example, about God's moral law is going to place us at odds with governing leaders and lawmakers. Have you noticed that? I mean, whether you're talking about abortion or stem cell research or same-sex marriage, uh, churches and individuals who hold to God's moral law are being dragged into the court and things are bound to get worse. I mean, I know business leaders who have to measure their words for in some settings, if they were to say that they were a Christ follower, they, they could be fired, they could be all the, and not to say that they're afraid, but they're being, they're being wise as serpents and innocent as doves. They're being strong, but they're being soft all at the same time. Some of you know exactly what that's like. And I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg 
And boy, there's a lot that could be said right now because whether you talk, you know, the, the, the hot button issues, the moral issues of our day that the church rightfully says is wrong and yet many churches today are sort of caving to the cultural line and they're sort of giving up moral convictions and they're kind of going with the culture and saying that, well, maybe we had all this wrong and God doesn't really care about this or that. And listen to me. What I want to say to you as the church of Jesus Christ is we have to hold our ground. But watch this. We've got to be so passionate and loving toward those who don't believe what we believe to give the opportunity for the gospel to come to people's hearts. And there's a culture out there that won't listen to what we say because they think we are haters and bulliers and we don't believe that what the culture believes. And man, we've just... Some of us have been hoodwinked and we're just, we're buttoning down and we're not saying anything and we're just being quiet and we're not loving people. And we need to be known for our love, beloved. We need to be known for our love. And anybody that walks through these doors, no matter who they are, no matter where they've come from, I hope they will feel loved and accepted here, watch this, for the purpose of the Spirit of the living God to come to them to reveal that as a sinner they need a Savior and that by His grace they can be transformed out of and, and into a new life. And, and God is the one who transforms people. We don't. And so we got to trust the Lord to do that. But we've got to, you know, some of us, we don't have much of an audience because we're kind of, you know, we're just like pounding on people all the time. So we don't have an audience. They all run like bugs under light. You know, everybody just runs. But some of us have an audience and we're not saying anything. We're not, we're not communicating the gospel. So the gospel comes in deed and it comes in word. There is, there is risk in the religious arena. There's risk in the political arena. Verse 21, look at this. There's risk in... Being at odds with members of your own immediate or extended family. Can I hear an amen on that? I mean, doesn't it break our hearts that some in our family don't love Jesus? And watch this. I, I see marriages end, families break up, or erode into what I call a sickening silence where there isn't any connection anymore simply because there's someone who doesn't like what they see Jesus doing in you. And I know some of you, man, I've talked to you. I've listened to you. I've heard and I've experienced it myself. Members in my own family that are sort of, the, the, the sign is out over their hearts. Closed. It hurts. And we're going to see next week in a bigger dimension that, that Jesus is a dividing point. Um, now keep, keep in mind that uh, we want to continue to love and, and, and share with our family members, but it's going to be hard sometimes. Our family's not going to accept us sometimes. I know someone, there's someone sitting right here today who's come out of a Muslim background, and because they're a Christ follower, they've been disowned in their family. And so when that happened to her uh, about a couple of years ago, I remember telling her with, with just joy in my heart, you have a new family, and it's a big one. And she, she was grateful for that, and she's still ministering, still loving back on her family. I don't know the current status, but there are some of you who literally have been disowned. I don't have a son. I don't have a daughter because you're a Christ follower. That's hard. And lastly, if, this, you know, if all that hasn't been somewhat difficult, look at verse 22. There's a risk of knowing that likely at some point we're going to be at odds with virtually anyone. He says, you'll be hated by all. All men will hate you because of me. Well, that's sending it pretty straight, isn't it? 
I mean, we don't hear a lot of that today. And some of you right now are kind of going, oh, I don't know about this. I'm new to Christianity. Is Really? Is that what it's going to be like? And, you know, here at Three Crosses, we just don't hold back. We say what the whole counsel of God's word says. So, I mean, if, if you kind of look at that in your life, you go, well, that, wow, that's way, I didn't know I was getting into something where I would be hated. I'm likely to be hated by everybody? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> But loved by the beloved and loved by the beloved. So with all that, um, and by the way, you know, some of us, we kind of have a martyr complex because we're not loved. We kind of feel that hatred. But watch this. Not because we're followers of Jesus, but because we're jerks. (laughs) Did you hear me say that? Some of us are being persecuted not because we're followers of Jesus, but because we're a jerk. We're jerk at our job, we're jerk at our neighborhood, we're mean, we're angry, we never love people, we're always demanding our rights. And people go, thank you, but no thank you. And to go, oh, I'm being persecuted for my... No, you're not. You're a jerk. (laughs) Embrace it. And repent of it. And ask God to give you a soft heart and a, a desire to serve and love people and care for them, regardless of what's in it for you. And then if you're hatred, hated or persecuted, then you can say, thank you, Lord. Okay, so with time really scooting away from us here, let me just balance these risks with some beautiful realities. The first reality, verse 19 through 20, we should be aware of the, the resource of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you don't have to worry about all this stuff. You know, the Holy Spirit will give you the word to say when you need it. You don't even have to prepare. I love that. Don't have to prepare. This is something that's going to happen in your life and just... If you just walk in the Spirit, you can just speak what's on your heart, and in that moment, God will use it. He'll be exactly... I've walked out of conversations where I said, man, that was such a train wreck, and I rehearsed the conversation. I think, oh, I should have said this, should have said that, should have said this. And then the next day, the person comes back and says, man, I've been thinking about what you said, and that, wow, I've, I, we've got to talk more. <laughs> so see, the Holy Spirit has a way of getting past our stumblings, and so you don't have to worry. You don't have to study for that. You should study to show yourself an approved workman unto God, needing not to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth, right? But you don't have to worry about being uh, a person who can defend all the arguments. And I've been in many settings where I knew that the, you know, the academic, academia around me was far superior, that there were people that had intellectual arguments that I really had no basis to kind of debunk but by the grace of God, by simply showing up and speaking my heart, uh, I believe God did a work. And I had the testimony of people that would come to me. I'm, I'm talking about college campuses where, you know, you're, you're in a secular setting. And, and if it doesn't matter what class you're in, there's always something about Christians, about Jesus, and about how terrible or how, you know, how, you know, you got to be an idiot to follow Jesus, basically. And if you just lovingly, with humility, speak up, there people come out of the woodwork, like Nicodemus is in your life, and they'll say, wow, you know, I needed to hear what you had to say. Could we talk more? I just saw that over and over and over again. So don't worry if you're in a tight moment, if you're being kind of jumped a little bit. Uh, just trust the Spirit of God, and that's what Jesus says. This is the reality. There's risk, but there's reality. Here's another reality you should be aware of. Uh, perseverance is the mark of true salvation. So Jesus says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now get this right, beloved. This is not... Uh, This is not perseverance so that you will be saved. This is perseverance because you are saved. Perseverance is the grace that comes with our salvation. And that's a beautiful thing. So Jesus is sort of commending them. He's saying, don't worry. 
uh, you, will per- you will persevere because those who persevere will be saved. It's an it's a earmark of a believer. And you remember, we, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and world forces of darkness in the heavenly realm, Ephesians 6 tells us. And so we don't have to worry about this stuff. We, can just, we know the resource of the Holy Spirit is with us, and we know that we'll persevere, we'll get through. Like Paul says in 1, 2 Corinthians 4, we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That's the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. So the reality of the Holy Spirit, the reality of perseverance, the reality of, watch this, moving into new areas when you feel like you're blocked. Verse 23, uh, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. I like that. Uh, Jesus says, you know, uh, get out of there so you can fight another day. And the point is, here's, let's, let's put this into the right vernacular. I mean, some of us have stopped sharing our faith because we got shut down by someone we loved or someone we cared for. We reached out and we, boom, we got, we got nailed. We got blasted. And so we're like, oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I shouldn't speak up. I'm, I'm timid. I just forget it. I'm going to push away and I'm going to let all the professionals do this stuff. And that's wrong. The Holy Spirit is saying, wait a minute. Jesus is saying, look, if you get stopped in one place, just go to another Because the person on your right that is kind of being closed right now, maybe the person on the left is really open. And don't look at the response of the person on the right to determine what you're going to do with the person on the left. Remember that God is sovereign. He does saving work and all he wants is a mouthpiece. And all he needs is someone obedient to the Spirit of God in their lives. To be listening, to wait, and to just speak out as best you know how and just trust the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, here's another reality. The privilege of being alienated or slandered for the name of Christ, verses 24 and 25. Look at this. A student is not above his teacher. I mean, it's like Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to a cross. I would say that that's a pretty strong form of persecution. Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to give his life as a ransom for sin. And Jesus said, you guys think you're better than me? You think you're going to escape persecution? I mean, you're following me. And if they call me the devil, guess what? They're going to call you as members of my household the devil too. So sometimes when people really get in your face and really put you down for your faith, if it's because of Jesus and it's, if it's because you have loved in Jesus' name and still you are hated because they hate the one you serve or the cause you serve in the one that you're serving, then be in a spirit of joy because you're just like Jesus in that moment. Jesus says, it's okay, you're like me. And that's encouraging. Okay, so... All of this works its way out to put fear in its proper place. And for those of you that just can't go to sleep at night if the blanks aren't filled in, um, <laughs> let, me, let me just, the first word is bold. Uh, fear in its proper place will be bold and use the best platform to share the gospel. Look at verse 26 and 27. He says, what you say in the dark, speak in, what you hear in the dark, say in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim on the roofs. What Jesus is saying there is don't be quiet. The rooftops were the place of Uh, of the conversations of the day. If Jesus were speaking to us today from the scripture, he might have said, put it on Facebook, put it on Instagram, tweet it till your heart's content. Use the medium, use the leverage of, or leverage that which you can for the gospel witness. Don't be shy. Use all these means Secondly, the the letter B there, when fear, fear in its proper place, we fear God knowing that the worst thing that can happen is losing our physical lives or that physical death is a part of that. And I, you know, 
I mean, I'm honest with you. I don't want, I don't want to die a martyr's death. I don't want someone to, you know, go off on Christianity and find myself in the crosshairs of somebody's gun or sword. I don't want that experience. But, you know, if it comes down that way, I mean, if it comes down that way, God's people should rejoice because they might have taken my life, they might have taken your life physically, but they can never take your life spiritually. Absent from the body, home with the Lord. I mean, so there should be a lot of rejoicing. What we really believe about our faith should not intimidate us by all the stuff that we see happening around us. So just keep that in mind. And then letter C, we should also, fear is in its proper place when we affirm our eternal worth to God. Look at verses 29 and 31. He says, uh, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. You're, you're more worth than the little, the little uh, sparrows that fall to the ground. I love that. You know, Jesus is infusing worth in your life. And do you know how much you're loved? And by the way, for God to know the hairs of your head, for some of us, it's really easy. For others of us, <laughs> it's not as easy. But isn't it cool that God knows everybody's count? I mean, God, what that is, it's a picture, it's a metaphor of how God knows everything intimate about you. And he knows your failings and he knows where you blew it and he knows where you stumble. But if you're a Christ follower, he sees your life and he knows that his righteousness has clothed your unrighteousness and it's a done deal and you're worth to him. You're worth the world to him. And the enemy will always tell you how, how, uh, how you're worth nothing. And who are you listening to today? And when fear is in its proper place, we confess our relationship with Jesus wherever and whenever with whomever we can. In verses 32 and 33, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. If you disown me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. This is, again, this is a picture of those who are saved. It's like, it's like, really? You know, the picture of my life is I, I speak up, I, I, I testify. And sometimes it looks really odd and ugly and weird, but I testify because I know nothing else. I know no one else that can love someone like Jesus can love someone. I know no one else who can heal someone like Jesus can heal someone. And I know that because he's done that in my life. So how can we be quiet? So beloved, this week we're going to have tons of opportunities. <laughs> tons of opportunities. And just remember, there's risk. You're going to be in the crosshairs sometimes. But there's some realities. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You will persevere because you belong to Him. You are worth everything to Jesus. And He's with you every step of the way. And you know, if you thought today was kind of a hard day as far as a text to go through, wait till next week. <laughs> I can't wait to get there. Let's go to the Lord right now.